0: I met Lieutenant General Stephen Quast at Joint Base San Antonio in his office when he was the head of all, uh, what, what is it, the commander of the Air Education and Training Command. He's known as Killer Quast. that was his call sign when he was a fighter pilot. And you know what, this man was the military aide to the Vice President of the United States. He's got an incredible career in the Air Force, he served this nation honorably. He's retired from the military now and he is continuing to serve America with innovation and excellence, the kind of things he taught to our Air Force. He authored the first space study that puts forward a plan to develop the economic and national security power for, of space for 21st century challenges. So we've invited General quast back to the economic war room and the reason is is this Democrats in Congress are trying to abolish the Space Force. There's a bill. So welcome, General Klaas, back to the Economic War Room. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you for having me.
0: All right, tell me, what's going on? Why are Democrats in Congress trying to kill the Space Force?
1: Well, this happens at every juncture in history, even uh, in the Founding Fathers and the Federalist Papers. There was an argument whether we should even have a Navy or a standing Army. <clears throat> and uh, so I... I I have no fear that this effort will fail, but there are, will always be a component of society that does not understand human nature or history and will want to have no army, no navy, uh, no ability to secure our economy, our government or our sovereign soil. And, uh, and, and I would uh, suggest to you that uh, many times it's lobby groups and people with money uh, who have an agenda that animate these small sectors of Congress to try to kill something that is essential for our
0: prosperity, our protection, and uh, for our values? Well, I've got two big concerns. One is because the Space Force was established under President Trump. I think there's a lot of never-Trumper, I hate the the former president, people that want to push that direction. So I look at some of the names of the list and I see that. But I'm also concerned that some of our um, adversaries like China, would benefit if we did not have a space force? And I know China's got a massive lobby in Washington.
1: Well, they do, and they own uh, power through uh, the money that they funnel, whether it's a lobby group or whether it's actual ownership of, like, higher education or different components of uh, elements, uh, think tanks and you know such. So uh, there's no question that uh, China is afraid of the space force and they're afraid of it uh, culturally because China likes to solve for X. They might like to have certainty. The space force is a great variable for them because they plan on dominating the global economy through the geography of space, just like the open oceans dominated the geography and the economy for England and Spain uh, back uh, several hundred years ago. So they are doing everything they can to kill a good idea because they are afraid of it and they're afraid of the innovation that could come from the Space Force.
0: Well, one of the advantages of being a dictator like uh, President Xi is you you get to say, we're going to do this. And in America, we have a, a discussion of ideas and we've got elected representatives, which is massively beneficial in so many ways. But when you can get compromised and infiltrated, I met someone, I think you may know him, Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer. I met him at a conference recently. He served in the Space Force. Uh, Do you recall meeting him?
1: Oh, yes, sir. Uh, He was uh, part of the uh, Schriever Scholars, which is a program down in Montgomery, Alabama, when I was the university president for the Air Forces University. He was one of the uh, young men that that was selected for that uh, program. We tried to pick the best and brightest uh, in our force and teach them about space, and he was one of them.
0: He's a great guy. I really enjoyed uh, talking to him. He's uh, suffered some uh, troubles lately because he brought to the attention of the world uh, Marxism that may be appearing in our military and, and, you know, that's something 20 years ago would have been uncontroversial. No, no, we don't want Marxists in our military, but unfortunately our military is getting more politicized by the day.
1: It is true. And uh, so there are many layers that we need to work on as a nation. But with regard to Congress in China, uh, it really, those congressional members that are calling for this, uh, it's true. I mean, back in the 1400s, you know, nothing is new under the sun. The Chinese had a political party that came into power that built a navy for, uh, you know, and a global uh, shipbuilding commerce. And the next party won the election. And because there was such hatred of the former party, uh, they burnt all the ships to the ground. And that began their 600 year of economic decay that ended in the century of humiliation. And they've never forgotten that. And this is why they don't want our space force because they wanna be the only players in space to dominate the economy
0: of the 21st century. So give me a two minute version. Why do we need a space force? You got a two minutes. Right. So for the same reason
1: that Hamilton outlined it in Federalist Papers, 23 through 29, if we as a country want to hold on to our values and our economy, we must be able to preserve the peace if somebody on this planet decides to come after us. And space is more powerful than even the open oceans. Think about space. It's right above your head. If you look up right now and you see those clouds, just a few short miles above those clouds is the boundary of space. And that is where China is operating. They will be able to touch us and affect our economy and our security. So the Space Force is called Guardians for a reason. They are here to guard the peace, to keep the peace, and to provide for the common defense. And if they are not there, China will have their way with us because they will be only a few miles over every one of our heads, and they can do anything they want from that distance in the electromagnetic age.
0: Well, it's not just China. Who else is uh, looking to dominate in space? Russia as well. But China
1: is powerful because of their economic throw weight. They actually have more economic throw weight than America right now, even though we're the number one economy, because of their dictator who can funnel all power and money to one vision. And that vision for China, if people aren't tracking, is the domination of space for the economic power of China that will translate into military and political power.
0: Yeah, well, there's no doubt we have both uh, risks. We're going to talk about national security and how We may be defenseless if we don't have a space force. That's one aspect. And the second aspect is economics. Uh, Those who own space own the economic future of the planet. So we're going to talk about asteroids. We're going to talk about mining. We're going to talk about ways that you, from space, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek type stuff. But we're going to have to take a break first. And when we come back, we'll talk with General Quast, about the national security implications of not having a space force, but the advantages if America participates of maybe demilitarizing space in a unique way. So, we'll be back in a minute. General Quast, why from a national security perspective is it so important that we have space? Is this just Star Trek and Star Wars type stuff? Or are there real national security threats if we don't have space, But China is there.
1: Yeah, so I'll remind the the viewers, uh, you know, imagine uh, if Hitler came to power and America did not have a Navy and did not have an Air Force and did not have an army. How would history have changed? Uh, How would the security of our economy and our prosperity and our values of freedom and liberty and democracy have been defended? this is essentially what the founding fathers talked about as the need for common defense and for the peacekeeping forces the forces that keep the peace and if you study human nature and you study history the great power competition since the beginning of recorded history there is one lesson that jumps out at you that is undeniable and that is if you want peace then you need to have the strength to hold firm to your values and if you don't have that capability uh, to, to, to defend, to defend your values, you will lose them to somebody else who is willing to use that
0: power. Uh, there's no doubt. I mean, there's a, a, a Latin phrase, I think it's C.V. Pacum Parabellum, uh, if you want peace, prepare for war. And, and that does keep peace. A strong America has kept peace in the world. And when America appears weak, we tend to have, well, serious problems. And we were weak at the beginning of World War II. We, we had cut, slashed our Navy and we'd slashed our armed forces. So I think you're totally right. right.
1: And one of the reasons why space is so uniquely different than World War II. World War II, we had a number of years to gin up our uh, economic industrial base uh, to produce the kind of capability to paralyze Germany and Japan. <clears throat> but space has an attribute of speed and range that is so lethal and so potentially powerful that what China is building uh, can can be existential so rapidly that we would never have time to turn to the industrial base and say, okay, spend a, a year building me the capability to defend our information systems, our energy grid, our economics, uh, our transportation. These things will be uh, obliterated from that high ground of space. It, it's so, so rapidly we may not be able to recover.
0: Well, when we first met, we were talking about electromagnetic pulse. And if you own space, you have a uh, small nuclear device, a rather crude one, and you could wipe out big segments of the power grid. They could take down uh, just GPS. And I mean, how, how dependent are we on satellites from a military standpoint?
1: That's right. So the American society has uh, fallen asleep with regard to this dependency on technology without thinking about how a determined adversary might use it as a weapon against us. So it exists in the power grid and our information grids and our transportation modalities. Uh, We are vulnerable. China knows it and they are building a force to hold us hostage and blackmail us against those vulnerabilities. This is why we must build strong and why the Space Force is essential. If we are not on that high ground to compete with China, uh, they will be able to, for pennies on the dollar, hold us under their foot.
0: Yeah, well, I read some of this, uh, you know, the science fiction type stuff, if you could shoot um, uh, metal rods down and blow up entire cities, and you know, because they become essentially asteroids, like the thing that killed the dinosaurs, you can, is that, is that science fiction or is there truth to that?
1: Oh, it's truth. I mean, velocity is uh, powerful, you know, velocity squared, that's why all the equations uh, show that. Uh, and it's true, you know, one, one uh, tungsten rod uh, traveling at, uh, at mock speeds, has the power of a thermonuclear weapon. Wow.
0: And you just have to put it in the right position and fire it in the right way, right? That's right. You don't
1: even have to fire it. You know, you're moving at such speeds in space that uh, it doesn't take it, it takes almost no energy to accelerate something to the kind of speeds that are catastrophic when they hit the terrestrial realm.
0: Yeah, and the other military thing that I'm concerned about is if you own space you can actually move uh, people very rapidly around the around the planet. It's not getting in an airplane. It's not going, getting on a ship. You can move from New York to, to Beijing pretty fast, can't you?
1: That's right. Well, and transportation is always the leading technology. If you can get to the right place uh, fast enough, you can do things to protect yourself and to increase your economy. And so my favorite story on this is uh, when the train was invented in England, the parliament passed a law that said the train could not travel any faster than the horse, so it wouldn't compete with the status quo business case. And right now, guess what? Congress is basically, and the FAA is basically telling Elon Musk he cannot launch his, his, his rockets that could transport anybody and anything to any point on the planet within an hour. That transportation revolution for the global economy is being squashed because Congress is worried about um, something new. So uh, we as a society are repeating history if we're not careful here. But you're right. Transportation is the key to economic vibrancy. And we are at the cusp of greatness. But guess what? If Congress is not clever, China will be the only one using Elon Musk's technology to travel anywhere on the planet within an hour for anything and anyone.
0: That's frightening. And, you know, on the military side of this, it reminds me of uh, General Billy Mitchell, who was talking about air power, it also reminds me of a story that you told me when we were together last uh, about the horses on the battlefield in World War One. Can you share that?
1: Yeah. So this is this is how tightly we cling as human beings to the status quo. You know, we fall in love with the things that made us heroes. So a fighter pilot will fall in love with his fighter aircraft or her fighter aircraft. So the cavalrymen of uh, the thirties and the twenties fell in love with the horse. The horse was the king of the battlefield. In fact, it it goes so deep that some of the studies that they sponsored basically told the leadership of the uh, country, uh, President Roosevelt and uh, Marshall, who is the chief of staff of the army, that if you took the horse off the battlefield, the IQ of the soldier would drop uh, by significant number of points. Um, And this is how we uh, have confirmation bias about the things we knew and that we are in love with. But if the Navy had held to the battleship and not transitioned to aircraft carriers, we would have lost the battle at sea in World War II. And if the the cavalry was allowed to keep the horse, as opposed to Marshall walking into General Hur, the leader of the cavalry, and saying, uh, you are retiring today, and we are canceling the cavalry and going to mechanization, we would have lost World War II in the European theater. The only reason, and and Congress kept funding the horse for 10 more years because the congressional lobbyists for the horse industry were so powerful, they they couldn't stop it. And we had to spend money on horses and on tanks and not just one. So this is human nature, we better be careful. And if we as citizens do not hold our politicians accountable, they only respond to political pressure And if there's not somebody telling them this story and forcing them to help us change, we will be victims of others who are more agile, like China and Russia.
0: Well, I want to thank you, General Cross, because I know that you did that hard work. You went to Congress, and you shared the need for a Space Force. And we all, every American owes you a debt of gratitude for that. We're going to have to take another break. But when we come back, we'll talk about some of the economic implications and maybe some of the portfolio implications for your investments. General Quast, I remember as a kid, uh, what did we get out of NASA and the space program? We got Tang to drink, and we got freeze-dried ice cream sandwiches, but there was a whole lot more that was added to our economy from our willingness uh, to follow President Kennedy and and go to the moon. Uh, Can you share some of the economic benefits of maintaining a space interest
1: Uh, You bet. And it's not just in the technologies that were developed uh, back in the 60s. Today, uh, space has an attribute of a network that empowers tremendous economic marketplaces. And I'll give you two examples. The one is energy. Right now, Tesla, back in the day, when Edison and Tesla were competing for how we deliver electricity to people, Tesla already knew and discovered the fact that you can beam power safely from one point to another without wires. And so from space with a solar panel that can convert the solar energy into radio waves, just like your FM and AM radio that are safe for human beings, we can beam that power to any point on planet Earth. So now imagine you're anywhere on the planet and you don't need electrical wires from a power plant coming to your home. You can trickle charge your cell phone anywhere on the planet. That's one example. The second is communication. So we need energy and we need to be able to communicate. Right now already, there's a company called Lynx that already has satellites up there that trick your cell phone into thinking that that satellite is a cell tower. So no longer do you have only one bar when you're driving through the desert. No longer are you out of range. You can communicate to anyone from anywhere because every satellite is a cell tower that your phone can connect to and then reconnect to anyone on the planet. Those are two examples. The trillion dollar businesses that come from somebody who's willing to put up just a few handful of satellites in low earth orbit will benefit from those trillions of dollars and China is pursuing that at a relentless pace and we as a government are not.
0: No, it's a sad thing because private investors uh, like Elon Musk they, they see this and they prepare for it. And American ingenuity is better. Our, our system is better in so many ways. Uh, but when you have a determined adversary and a focused intent, you got to work extra hard to keep up.
1: Well, it's not only that, but we have to be careful here because um, our innovation can be stifled by an overreaching government that uh, it, it destroys innovation through regulation and through this Uh, This false idea that government is here uh, to save the people from themselves versus our constitutional right that we are the boss and the government serves us and does what we want them to do. And we have to be careful. China, China, with one point three five billion people and growing, has more geniuses, uh, you know, has about 100 geniuses for every honor student we have in America. And they are putting the money after these technologies. So we better be careful. We are the most innovative culture on the planet but the money and the focus can sometimes trump the innovation if the innovation is stifled by a government that doesn't trust its people
0: right and as you said in the previous segment we won't have time to catch up if they dominate com- here they dominate completely well, let's look at another uh, I, here's an article from august 10th china plans near earth asteroid smash and grab what well, what is that talking about
1: well, so um, imagine, uh, you know, we on the planet think about the fact that we've already discovered every continent. Well, if you take a look at the asteroids that are out there right now, many of them are much closer than the moon to the Earth. But they they, they fly in, in uh, orbits that are congruent or consistent with the Earth's orbit, so they are not a threat to hitting us. But that is like an entire continent. So imagine that we discovered a continent the size of Africa that is only a few days travel from us right now. Well, look at all the resources, the rare earth metals, because every asteroid is made up of the same universal stuff that the earth is made up of. So what China is talking about is they are gonna mine the resources, the gold, the silver, the rare earth metals of this continent made up in asteroids and other celestial bodies and bring it to the Chinese economy and we are not.
0: Yeah, that's frightening because this is, like you said, it'd be Queen Isabella saying, no, I don't want to look at the new world. I'm not interested in that. It would be foolish. And we've got to maintain a presence in space. We've got to have the awareness in space. Well, you've you've been telling the story, and that's powerful. And I've been looking through all of these things that China is doing and that Russia and India and others are doing. We can't be last in this. But no, we
1: can't. And, and uh, there's an important point here, and that is the cost of getting to space is high. So uh, a, a company, a small company that can innovate in America can't get there because the cost is too high. It would be like building the Panama Canal with a small company. Elon Musk can do it and Jeff Bezos can do it because they're billionaires that believe in this and see history and the future colliding but we as a government have a responsibility
0: to help our young innovators get above this threshold or we will never compete. Well, and you know, you've got a perfect model of that and that's what you're working on now, is where there's a combination of a government need and supporting entrepreneurs. Tell us about your water project.
1: Right, so right now, uh, every every single day, 6,000 children die around the world because of a lack of access to fresh water or a lack of access to water altogether. We knew this was technologically a problem we could solve and we have done it. So we build water generators that don't require any infrastructure, no power grid, no water source. You can put it in the middle of the Gobi Desert and it will produce abundant water and food for anybody that wants to live there. Um, This is to save those 6,000 children a day and many more adults a day that die of a lack of uh, thirst and a lack of hunger and make us
0: resilient against famine and drought. Well, I love the innovation and I love the fact that you, you've opened it up where it's private investors that are making this possible. Uh, tell us, how do, where can people go to learn more about this water project? I know you're in the very early stages, but someday I believe that your company and, uh, and Major Stuckenberg, who's another dear friend, it's, it's gonna revolutionize the world. Well,
1: it will. In fact,
0: we just had the launching of our first um,
1: product uh, in Tampa last week, uh, and that's going to go to a military exercise next month and then off to uh, Texas uh, for a permanent place in water innovation and the future of water. Uh, But Genesis Systems Global is the name of the company. We have been in stealth mode up till now because big lobby groups for big water and big energy uh, this is going to disrupt that entire sector. And we have to be careful to not be a baby killed in the crib. But genesis systems global and we're going the private route because government is too slow and too bureaucratic. And these people need water today.
0: Well, we're so appreciative that you continue to innovate, you continue, uh, you know, you've retired from the military, but you're continuing to serve the American people. And so I want to thank you. And I want to thank you for your help with the NSIC Institute. You're one of our key advisors, and we're so grateful for you.
1: Well, teaching American people to defend their uh, rights and, and, and understand that you got to follow the money. Uh, That is how our government and our country is being taken over by other countries, whether it's China, Russia and others that weasel their way into our country and own. The the biggest agricultural owner in our country is China. Most people don't realize that our energy market is dominated by China. Our telecommunications markets are dominated by China. This is how money becomes power, becomes influence. And then Congress and the lobbyists
0: don't act and we lose our freedom. Well, General Quash, you've been a big advocate for freedom. You've served us, and we're so grateful. And when I mentioned the NSIC Institute, that is the National Security Investment Consultant Institute, we are training 10,000 financial advisors that'll weaponize a trillion dollars of American money to be that innovation, to make those differences. So we're coming out from the old, which is the woke, and we're going into new and exciting opportunities like Genesis and the Water Project but you're going to need a financial advisor to do that. We're training and giving access to brilliant minds and ideas like Lieutenant General Quas, like Dr. Ben Carson, like Dr. Rod Martin, and great economists and great investors. The online training starts at Liberty University. We're going to start with an advisor track, and we'll be adding an on-campus track soon, and hopefully out of a campus that we're going to acquire just north of DFW Airport but we also want to add a client track. So do you have a financial advisor? You can nominate them for training at economicwarroom.com advisor, forward slash advisor.
1: For your listeners, this is a really important point. Uh, The only way we can compete with a tyrant like China in the 21st century as a democracy is by the way you are doing it, teaching a force of people that understand how money is power and it is defending our values.
0: Well, this is the Dunkirk approach. You know, we're activating the small ships. Now, if you're a subscriber, you can get our free economic battle plan at economicwarroom.com. It'll have a recap of the episode, an action plan, links to what General Cross is working on. And we do that with every episode. You can subscribe for free if you're not yet a subscriber. For a limited time, it's free. Just go to economicwarroom.com and sign up for the battle plans. Remember, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.